0: Welcome back to Wellness Inc. I'm Dr. Mike Moreno, taking a deep dive into all things wellness after over 25 years of practicing medicine. I'm fascinated with anything and everything that can help you feel better, live healthier, and become the best you possible. I'll be interviewing the most cutting-edge experts in the field of wellness and exploring new innovative technologies to help you live your best life. At the end of each episode, I'll give you my weekly Rx, my top tips for you to use right away. Remember to subscribe for free, rate and review my podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So Dr. Dina Mannion is a celebrated doctor of psychology and a licensed clinical social worker since 1993. It's almost three decades, my math does me right. She specializes in substance abuse, depression, anxiety, personality disorders, couples counseling, family therapy, and so many other important areas. And let me tell you, this is so important what we're going to talk about today. Her considerable expertise has led her to become a frequent contributor on Dr. Phil and a ton of other influential shows. You're going to, you're going to know why after we speak to her. Uh, in today's episode of Wellness Inc., Dr. Dean is going to help us focus on what to look for when addressing depression and anxiety and she's gonna share her tailored approach on how this can provide the help people need to recover optimal mental health. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Dina.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you, Dr. Mike.
0: Yeah, I gotta tell you, first of all, thank you for taking time. You're a busy person and uh, your time is is critical, but I gotta tell you, uh, to say this subject could not be more timely, I mean, I, I wanna get into this. And, and I think, here's what I wanna say to people listening from the get-go. I think there's a tremendous, and I, I know um, that Dr. Dina can elaborate on this, but there's a tremendous sort of concern or apprehension to seek out you know, this sort of help, to seek out that sort of, that mental health that we all need. I am completely transparent and people know who have been a part of my show for a while, I have been seeing the same therapist for 21 years. Sometimes we fight, sometimes we argue. It's like a a couple. But I will tell you, it is so critical and so important, and no one should ever have this apprehension. And I get it. There are so many financial and cultural reasons why. But please, please, please never hesitate to reach out. It does not mean anything other than you're strong and I think a lot of people view this as the opposite what are your thoughts on that
1: well I'm so glad you brought that up and I love that you've been in therapy for so long because that really helps people understand that it's okay and it's not like a quick fix it's a process and it's something that we all need we all need support we all need somebody kind of neutral to feedback to us um you know kind of, what we're going through and how to maybe change behaviors if we want to or look at why the why is the critical. And I think if anything positive has come out of this uh, last couple years of the COVID nightmare, it's that people are reaching out more for support, reaching out online, reaching out to therapists. I've never been busier. Um, which I think is actually a good thing. Um, You know, obviously a lot more people are struggling because of what's been happening, but I think also a lot more people are realizing that they need that human connection.
0: Yeah. And so you bring up an amazing point and I think about this all the time. I think we've been struggling without COVID-19. I really feel like it just Kind of caught. It's like that whole thing where you rattle the bush and the birds fly out. Yeah. Listen, I think COVID nineteen rattled our bush and the birds are flying out because this this is not something that that is new. I mean, you know, thirty three decades of work that you've done, but I, I you know, we always talk about silver linings, right? Uh, one of the silver linings, I think, in this, and I will use your word nightmare, which is putting it lightly, is I think it brought the ability for people to finally say it's at that threshold, that breaking point where we say, I need some help. And, and, and I say this all the time, sometimes to my friends and colleagues and to patients, but life is hard. It is so hard. Yeah. And uh, it's gotten more complicated. And thank God there are people like you that are out there that are passionate and dedicated and devoted to, to helping us. So let's get right into it. There are so many things you do. And I mean, when you've been doing this for almost thirty years, I can imagine. Um, but okay, what you, ha- you... you
1: have to stop aging me like that, Doctor Mike. That's <laughs> well, you a, look fantastic, so it doesn't times. matter.
0: Thank you. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I'm amazed at, at anybody. I always say to my patients because I, you know, I've been doing this twenty five years, and I always say five more years, and I think it's going to be time for me to, re- to to retire. And they're like five <laughs> more years, and I said thirty years of doing anything is enough, and it's time to kind of go on to something else. But you know, jokingly, but. Uh, Listen, Well, the good, the good <laughs> news
1: is, is the more seasoned we are, the more, you know, That's right.
0: right. Yeah, it's, it's, right.
1: The, it's the one profession where the more years we have, the better, right? That's
0: right. It's like a cast iron skillet that I grew up with that my mom always had. The, I'm like, this is like an old skillet. She's like, those are the good ones. So you and I are seasoned <laughs> cast iron skillets. So let's, okay. let me ask you this. What, mm-hmm. what is the most common thing that you treat? And let's just start there. Let's get right into it.
1: Well, I mean, you mentioned depression, and I think that's something that is is a good thing to talk about because 16 million, um, you know, adults in the United States suffer with depression, and you know, it's it's a it's a much uh, smaller percentage that actually seeks help, and they think that they can kind of you know, get over it on their own. And I I mean, I I wrote down some things just that I wanted to say, like in terms of quotes that I've heard clients say about depression, because these are real common things that they say, like, this is my fault. You know, it's something in my head, I'm lazy. And we need to know that depression is, is a brain disease and it actually is the imbalance of chemicals in our brains that create depression and, you know, situations can bring it on. Like something like COVID has brought on a tremendous amount of depression because now we have a lot of situational problems. But the truth is, is that You know, depression doesn't usually just go away on its own and it is a real, it is a real thing. And, you know, sometimes because there are symptoms that could be, you know, other things too, we we say like, oh, we're just tired or we're just lazy or, you know, we don't want to exercise or, you know, I'm gaining weight because I'm just eating more or, um, you know, I'm feeling like I don't want to go on because I'm so overwhelmed. But like these things can really be a clinical depression, which are, which is treatable and, you know, can be addressed with therapy and a combination of medication when needed and it's treatable, you know, I mean, that's the good news. Like we can actually treat this.
0: Yeah. And I like you when we do these shows, I, um, I like to kind of bring in personal experiences, Mm. um, because I, I, I hope that it, it gets people to think about their story, right? And and what maybe why are they feeling the way you do? And it's for all of the valid points you bring up. So when I was 12 years old, my brother, who was 30 at the time, was killed in an accident. And I remember that day so clearly, I can recite every minute of it, Mm -hmm. but what really struck with me was watching my mother, at the time she was uh, 52, and uh, I was 11, or no, I guess she was 53, but I remember this happy-go-lucky, life-of-the-party woman, right? Just filled with life. I mean, the most beautiful person in the world, in my opinion, and I remember when this happened, I remember watching her come home from the hospital that day. And I kid you not, Dr. Dina, climb into bed for six months. Mm-hmm. And I was 11 and I was like, what's going on here? You know, well, I was in sixth grade. I mean, I didn't know. And I remember that and I thought to myself, is this depression? Is this what trigger? is this how this happens? I mean, Comment on that because, like you said, this is something, and a lot a lot of people just think, "Oh, it's because of this or it's because of that." It's a chemical imbalance, like you say. But for a lot of us, what what triggers this, and isn't it an event, or or is it a series of events, or all included?
1: I mean, what a great example of you know serious trauma that can kind of prompt depression, and I think that you know. I'm sorry so much for your loss, uh, first of all, because that's a lifelong trauma that, you know, doesn't go away.
0: Right. Um, I appreciate you saying that.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that what you bring up is how we respond to trauma. So we all respond differently, right? So your mom might've had a predisposition to depression that you didn't know and, and This kind of triggered something a lot more serious. Like, some people will um, have a traumatic incident happen or something happen, and they do suffer the depressive symptoms or the PTSD. But it kind of resolves itself, depending on how people deal with it. So, like, if your mom didn't have any help or assistance or support or understanding, or you know, maybe she didn't have the coping skills to deal with that, which. Most of us probably don't, because that's the most unimaginable thing. And just you know, as a mother, like I, I would, I think I would do the same thing. You know, even with all the knowledge that I have, like I don't, you know, it's just. um, Did she ever recover?
0: You know, that's um, honestly, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And did she ever become functional again? Did she ever become? The beautiful woman that she once was, yes. But, you know, a kid, and I'm the youngest of seven, a kid knows, you know, mm. you peel those layers back and you kind of know. And my, my, you know, she passed away about a year and a half ago, full amazing life, 92 years old. Mm. And, you know, as the years went on, obviously the first few years were very difficult, but as the years went on, yeah, she quote unquote recovered, but really, I don't think so. And, and my siblings and I, we would, from time to time, we would talk about it and say, uh, yeah, you know, ever since Jerry died, mom was never the same. And, 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 you know, this went on for five, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And I'm like, uh, so the short answer is, I don't think so. And, and I don't even know what recovery looks like, or I don't even know if it's expected, you know, I, I, I yeah. I you know it's interesting that you say that um and ask that question because in in the years I've dealt with this uh and and we've talked about it I don't know that I've ever really asked myself that question you know mm-hmm. did she recover and in her mind she probably never did but yeah it was a weird thing to go through as an 11 year old kid I was like this is this is weird you know I've never seen my mom you know in bed except for Saturday and Sunday morning and i bring her coffee as a mm-hmm. little kid but To climb into bed for six months, it was like I. I, It was a weird thing to see at any age, but let alone when you're 11. You know.
1: Well, and and what's happening for you as an 11 year old child is, regardless of the traumatic event, which you know anyone would probably respond in some similar way. Then you're watching how your mom deals with stress and how she copes, and somehow that can kind of you know, um, intergenerationally kind of transport us into, you know, doing the same thing or, right. or coping in a maladaptive way. And, um, you know, I remember, um, watching my mom back in the day, um, you know, be very stressed, um, with a kind of a high powered job and she would come home And, you know, instead of drinking or, or, you know, kind of relaxing in, in, in some way that maybe, you know, people did way back when like having a scotch or whatever whatever it was, she did, she did transcendental meditation. And I, and I feel like, I mean, she was kind of way before her time with, all I was going to say
0: like, I, 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 way mean, before, yeah. I, I would venture to guess and no one even knew what that was good. For, wow. That's, I mean, that's amazing.
1: She did forum and asked and, you know, all of that when that was all kind of coming out, like the new age type stuff. And she, um, she really taught me how to manage stress in a way that, um, was about self-care back then. And I really feel like that kind of set the tone for me uh, throughout my life to to really, to, you know, cause I, I've always been in like a very like high stress job, obviously. with, with can running, imagine. Running a treatment center, um, you know, for all of these years. And uh, I've learned to kind of separate that and, and decompress in a way that I take care of myself. And, and I don't think I would have done that had I not watched her. Now, my dad, on the other hand, smoked cigarettes and, you know, um, ate. Right. And I got, I got that too. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, the smoking, which I've, which I quit many, many years ago, but the eating, the eating, yeah. I really learned that, um, you know, food makes me feel better. And so right. that was kind of, you know, even though I did the meditative piece and the, and the personal self-care, I, I just watched when he ate, like he seemed to feel better. And so I guess food makes you feel better, right? And you're an expert in this area, so so you know all about this. I mean, it really, it, it is a coping mechanism. A hundred from-
0: percent. It's like food addiction is real. And I, I think there are still people surprisingly who don't see that. And it's like alcohol, it's like smoking. It's like, it's your go-to, right? Whatever brings you comfort. And it's, it's interesting when you mention your father. Now, my father was a different kind of guy. My father would just mm. sit in the corner and smoke a cigarette. And again, as a child, I would sit there and he would put his, his, ha- his head, his forehead in his hand. Like, how am I going to get through another day? And he would puff on this cigarette. And I thought to myself, okay, well, that's another way of dealing with things. But, I, you know... Your point is so valid. Food is an addiction. And when we look at people, it's not simply because, oh, they're just not disciplined. No, this is this is where they go to. It is their quote unquote drug of choice, whatever it may be. And I don't know. A lot of us do reach for drugs when we're when, you know, pharmaceutical companies. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, can you get out of depression without medications? I, I mean, the big pharma is a big Part of our life, whether we like it or not. And I think there's certainly relevance and need for it on several levels. But what would you say if someone said, Can I get out of depression without taking drugs?
1: Well, I mean, the interesting thing about, like, you talked about smoking and drugs and alcohol and stuff like that, it's, I think we need to really look at our own behavior and how these things get passed on. Because, you know, I remember my daughter, um, who's now 15 at 12 when I was having the conversation with her about drinking and how drinking is bad and all of that. And she just looked at me and she's like, well, you drink.
0: Right. What are you and supposed I'm to like, say to that? Oh, <laughs> shoot. Um, Go ahead. You can okay. use the S-H-I-T word on here. <laughs>
1: yeah. Shit. What do I do now? You know? And it's like, I mean, seriously, like we, we ask them to get off their devices and we ask them to not be, you know, have their phone glued to their you know, to their hand and eyes, but we do, you know, it's like, it's, so it's just a, it's learned behavior. And I think depression, although it is a chemical imbalance, it's what we do with it. So like if you're suffering a major depressive episode, which is kind of the most severe depression, you know, which could include suicidality and, and it's really debilitating. Um, And you don't take care of it. You don't do the things that you need to do to take care of it. Obviously, you're depressed, so you don't feel like doing anything. But there are things that you can do to kind of pull yourself out. And I think that that's really the key, you know, like taking care of yourself. Just like if you had cancer, you know, you would do it cancer protocol. It's the same right. with depression and I think so many people just think like, oh, I'll snap out of it or oh, like I said, I'm lazy or I'm, you know, or or with with the food. Like, oh, I'm just I'm I'm fat and I don't want to exercise as opposed to like, wow, I'm really not taking care of myself. And this right. isn't about my weight. This is about my health. I think depression is the same thing. I think it's um, you know, I I talked to a client the other day and and she She said, you know, I've been in therapy forever. And she's like, and then I came to you and you told me that it was like an accomplishment that I brushed my teeth. And she's like, I just thought, (laughs) I just thought like that was because I was a loser. Like I didn't even want to tell anybody that I wasn't brushing my teeth because it's so disgusting and gross. And I felt so bad about myself. And I said, yeah, but when you're depressed, you don't feel like doing anything Self caring, you know, you just don't. And so it, it, for her, it was like a big accomplishment to get up and brush her teeth every day. And she wasn't giving herself accolades, but the only way that she was going to start to get better was to acknowledge these little things as big things because it's big when you're depressed. You literally don't want to get out of bed. And now with, you know, binge watching Netflix and you can get everything at your fingertips right. and you can or order anything on DoorDash. I mean, this isn't good for people who are depressed.
0: Well, it's funny you bring that up. And I love that. And this is why I love doing these podcasts mm. because I feel like I'm so fortunate to be able to connect with people that I would never know or meet or interact with. And not only that, so that's my selfish reason for, it. Yeah. but the other thing is the, the ability to give this information to people out there that, that even if it helps one person, Hey God, that's great. One thing I tell my patients all the time, and I say this probably 10 times a day, tell me what you've done, not what you failed to do. And tell me what you can do, not what you can't do. It's that whole idea. My father used to call them attaboys, right? When you'd be helping them do something and you would do something right as a kid, he'd be like, "Ah, oh, there you go, attaboy. And I'm like, yes, I got an attaboy. To your point about brushing the teeth, that is an accomplishment. And I think that's what people need to do is recognize it's what you've done, not what you're failing to do. It's what you can do. And gosh, people are so hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. I-, I wanna switch gears a little bit. Um, and talk about your treatment plan, because I think it's, it's so spot on. And I think a lot of it in reading comes around building uh, a positive and, and sort of an engagement intimate relationships with not only yourself, but other people. And and let's talk about your sort of way of, of managing these conditions and and with this sort of theory and, and how this works. I mean, I want to share that with people.
1: Great. Yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of uh started to really look at this whole self-care notion, you know, because we're kind of in this time of, you know, self-care being, you know, such a huge industry of, you know, bubble baths and taking care of yourself and <laughs> you know, going to a spa and doing this. But really, um that's not what I consider self-care. And so What I consider self-care is to really understand and know ourselves and not compare ourselves to others, but compare ourselves to our best self. And I think that the way that I work with clients is to first look at the why, like we talked about, like, you know, everyone that comes in says like, oh, are we, do we really have to talk about my childhood and my parents? And that's not relevant to anything. And I want to talk about my my job and my boyfriend and, you know, my friends and, you know, they want to talk about current stuff, right? Which I totally understand. Sure. But the problem is, is that when you skip over all that, which I'm sure you haven't, if you've been in therapy, as long as you have, (laughs) that that you don't really know why you do the things that you do. So like, we just talked about how, you know, I watched my dad eat to kind of self-soothe and that's what I do. Well, that seems so basic, but a lot of people don't actually look at or acknowledge where this comes from originally. And if I, you don't, if you don't do that, then you think you're defective. Like if, if I didn't know that I did that because I watched it and it was a learned behavior and it worked for right. him, it looked like it worked. Uh, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't Exactly.
0: Exactly. That?
1: So I think to be able to really, um, validate for people like this makes complete sense, you know, like, especially when, you know, um, when, you know, people are fat shamed, or, you know, you're a drug addict, or there's something wrong with you, or, well, usually, there's something underneath that, you know, and, right. and it's usually how we grew up and how we had an experience in childhood whether it was traumatic or whether it was watching something traumatic or whether it was some kind of neglect or abuse or something i mean none of us had perfect childhoods there's always something there and even if it feels perfect you know our parents weren't perfect like they didn't know any better than than we do so it's you know we we learn as we go and um we all have flaws and it's important to like say, what kind of coping mechanisms do I use? When I ask clients, what kind of coping mechanisms do you use or what kind of defense mechanisms do you use? And I explain to them what defense mechanisms are. They had had no clue that they were using denial or anger or repression or regression or displacement or all of these things that have been around for years and years and years since Freud kind of brought this to our attention that this is what we do. But it's not common knowledge that like, Hey, when I'm upset about something, I avoid. I push people away. I blame. I do this, I do that, whatever it is. And I think that um learning about ourselves is the first step to really um having a different experience. And so we're such about quick fixes. Everybody wants a pill to fix oh, everything.
0: Don't get and me started so, on that.
1: Yeah. And so with that, like I I tell people like this isn't a quick fix. Like it's, it's not going to be a long process. Like if you're really motivated and you want to work on this, but like, if you don't talk about how you got to be who you are and where you came from, we're not really going to be able to, to make that much change because we're creatures of habit. We just do the same thing over and over again.
0: Yeah. You know, interesting. I, I was fortunate enough. Uh, he's retired for the most part now, but Dr. Vince Folletti, uh, who basically was heavily involved with the ACE study, um, which I, I'm sure you're aware of, of the ACE study and basically how adverse child effects are, are who we are and how we do. Why do we have headaches? Why do we have stomach pains? Why are we depressed? Why do we overeat? And I think the ACE study is was really ahead of its time. And I mm. think it's gotten more traction and more attention in the most recent years. And rightfully so, you know, I, I got to tell you something you said has struck me and I still have goosebumps from it. And I think it's, that's
1: I, my I, favorite phrase to hear
0: goosebumps. From
1: my, no, that something struck you and oh. you have goosebumps.
0: That's like, that's like a therapist's yeah, dream. They've been going on for like 90 <laughs> seconds now, but you said, Compare yourself to your best self and not to others. I love that. And, I, and I'm and i going to say something, and there may be people listening to this who, in fact, probably everybody, and I had this conversation with someone the other day, but nothing drives me more nuts than when you you reach out to someone and you tell them, hey, I'm struggling because of this. And they compare that to someone who's worse off than you. Like, that's not nice. (laughs) And and I think to myself, when someone has that, that, you know, that trust to come to you and say, gosh, I'm struggling because of this, that, and the other. And the response is, well, at least you don't have this going on. That's not helpful. I don't find that helpful. You know, it's like, have a little empathy, sympathy, whatever you want to call it. But I think that statement you made, comparing yourself to your best self... That's what's relevant here. Not comparing what's going on in your life to someone who has it worse. Because, but listen, there's always someone who has it worse. Just watch the news and you're like, oh my God, this person, like how does this person like continue with life, I, I mean, go on and on and on. But I love that you said that. And, and for anybody out there listening, who's ever been, you know, had that sort of, that ability to go up to someone and say, gosh, I'm struggling because I have this, this, and this going on in my life. Don't discount that if someone compares you to something worse. What are your thoughts on that? Because that drives me bananas.
1: Well, first of all, you just kind of, um, you know, made a case for going to a therapist because I mean, your therapist is (laughs) probably not going to tell you that they have it worse. You know, even if they do, right. right? Um, A client (laughs) said to me the other day, he's like, I'm really getting sick of that. You never tell me how you are. You know, he's ah. like, is that like a therapy thing? <laughs> and, um, and, you know, it's such a, it's such a great conversation starter because, you know, I'm sure you feel like you said, you fight with your therapist and you go through oh. all things and you probably love her sometimes and hate her sometimes. Oh, it's so true. And that's like all normal um in a therapeutic relationship. That's real. But what's, but what's always going to be there is that she's going to listen to what's going on with you and compare it to your best self.
0: I still have the goosebumps. All right, let, let's let's get on with this because okay. I can talk about that forever. Yeah, um, I was at my therapist yesterday. Tuesday is my day to go see her, so I'm I'm, I'm always I learn insight. I learn about myself. Which let's let's talk about this individual. Your role, individual identity. You know, when we talk about treating depression and anxiety what What does the role of individual identity play? Like how does that work? Define it and and tell us how this works in that whole treatment plan?
1: Well, I mean, listen, I think that everyone, like we just talked about, I mean, which is kind of a perfect segue, is that, um, you know, if if you're comparing your own life and your own depressive symptoms and what's going on with you, to, you know, Instagram photos or Facebook pictures of people who look like they have a perfect life, then you're going to get more depressed, you know? And so I think it's important um, to be able to talk to people about what they see being happy looks like. You know, we all say like, we want to be happy, but if you ask like a hundred people, what happiness looks like, they all say something completely different. So- When someone says to you, like, I just want to be happy, and, and then you start to give them advice about how you get happy. Like, no, it's it's not that. Everybody has a different idea of what happiness is for them. And to be able to define it, like, okay, when were you feeling happy? You know, what what did it look like in your life? And try to take people back to a time and place where they might have had those feelings of happiness and then try to work toward getting there. And for everybody, it's different, you know, because, because we can't really compare. Um, I think part of the problem is with social media and all this is that there's these like, you know, kind of fake type um, identities that people create now that everyone aspires to. And it's almost like it's all fake.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting when you mentioned your mom was way ahead of her time. My mom was too, and I don't think she knew it either. But I remember, Mm. so we grew up in the San Joaquin Valley, um, and very much a Hispanic neighborhood. My father was from Mexico. Mm. Um, But we, we grew up in a farming community, right? That's what it was. My mom was she taught ESL English as a second language. But long story short, we lived in a in a neighborhood that was predominantly, you know, Hispanics. And so my mom would always say to me when I would complain or act out or whatever, she'd say, Never mind the Jones and the Smiths. You pay attention to yourself. And mm-hmm. I used to think, well, there are no Jones and Smiths in our neighborhood. And I don't know <laughs> of any Jones and Smiths, so I don't know what she's talking about. But my point <laughs> being that It was basically saying what you're saying, which is you have to define what is happiness for you? What puts a Mm -hmm. smile on your face? What makes the tears come out? Whatever that is, that's so unique to you. It's your DNA. It's your it's it's so valuable. But I think you're right. You know, we're overwhelmed with all of this, this input and, and social media and so many outlets that you have to define what. What is happiness for you? But is that a process? Is It's hard to do that. And where would you tell someone to start to do that?
1: Well, I try to like, so, for, you know, I use my own experience because um, I, you know, from the age of 21 was a therapist and I had goals and things that I wanted to do. And I had this kind of idea of if I got to this place, which is, you know, Two kids, a great husband, a great career, you know, lots of money, like all these things that were kind of drilled into me um, from my upbringing, like, you know, that was that would make me happy. Right. Um, I achieved all those things and I didn't feel happy. And I and then I felt like, oh, gosh, you know, what's going to make me happy if, if these if all these things don't make me happy? then what's going to make me happy. And the truth was that all of those material things really didn't bring happiness. It's like, I had to work on myself and what was actually making me happy so that I could then realign, you know, my whole life. And, and I really had to change some things in my life, um, in order to kind of, Achieve what my own version of happiness was, not what everyone else's was. Cause everyone was saying, your life is so great. Gosh, oh. you should be, you're, you should be so happy. And I'm like, <laughs> God, why am I so stressed and like wanting to just like get under the covers every night and go to sleep, you know, like not enjoy my life. Well, the stress was taking me out. And so I had to really reduce the stress in my life. And not everybody can do that, but but when you can, I mean, it's super scary to do it, especially if you have all of these things that are making you happy. But like, have you ever seen that um, that um, documentary on Netflix about the minimalist guys?
0: Oh my God, I saw that. I, saw, I started watching that and my girlfriend's like, oh my God, you of all people are watching that. I, it, You know, you stumbled on it. I was like, this is kind of interesting. But those guys, I, at least I thought they were, extreme. Like they're like, I just have one chair and I'm like, what I <laughs> But know. I did, but go ahead. I want to hear this point. Cause I well, totally know I mean, what you're talking yeah. about.
1: I mean, I, I can't, I can't get down to where they are in my right. closet, like just to be honest. <laughs> right. Um, but, but the concept is, is that they were CEOs and these, you know, they had all the money and all the things and all the material things that they always aspired to have to make them happy. Right. And then they got there and they were more stressed you know, more money, more bills, you know, more responsibility, like, you know, kind of doing the daily grind, not really enjoying life, not traveling, not doing because they had to, you know, make more and do more. And so to, to really scale down in that way and, and just like enjoy nature and enjoy life and enjoy like being with your kids or being with your partner or whatever it is, I was, you know, I would be like in a movie theater with my kids on the phone, like looking at stuff that was going on at work or oh. at the beach, you know? And instead of like enjoying the beach, I would be like worried about something that was going on. And I don't do that anymore. And so um, it, it, it's like a trade-off, you know? And I think we all need to ask ourselves like, are are we needing more material things and more um you know, kind of comparative ways that we do with like, well, that person looks happy. I want that, um, to make us happy. And then we get there and we even fall down more because we're more depressed that why aren't we now happy? Like this was supposed to do it. So it's not, it's not the, the end kind of point that brings us happiness. It's the journey along the way. And we have to remember that like every day is a gift that we're given and we have to really, you know, use it to the, to the fullest extent. And when you're depressed and you don't feel hope in the future and you don't feel like there's any, um, anything to to live for or to move forward for, the only thing you can do is really look back and say, like, how did I get here? Do I want to stay here? And if I don't want to stay in this place, how can I pull myself out with support and help? And and there is, there is help and, and you can pull yourself out. And people that have suffered from major depression and have come out of it really have a, a different appreciation, I think, for life in a different way, because those little things are so much more enjoyed and appreciated when you've been in that dark place.
0: So it, let me ask you this, because I'm curious, because I tried to do, I'm I am guilty of, of that same sort of thing. You gave the example of being in the movie theater or on the beach or whatever. And and one thing my therapist would always say to me is, um, you're not so important that if you do not answer something that immediate, that something bad is going to happen. You need to disconnect. Now, I went through this process and it made me climb the walls. So I got to ask you, what was the anxiety level when you were trying to make, I mean, granted, you're extremely successful. You're raising a family, you're, 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 you know, doing all of this stuff. And like you said, everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you should be so happy. Your life is so perfect. And you're, yeah, you, I started to think to myself, am I being not grateful? Mm-hmm. Am I Is this me being an ungrateful person because of what I have? So it, it made me very anxious when i tried to change so what how did this process work in in your life if you don't mind yeah. sharing
1: no of course well i i had to quit a job that i was in for 18 years and oh. it wasn't really um it wasn't really you know anything that i can point to other than um I, I was on call 24 seven and had a lot of responsibility. And for me, like some people can do that and be fine. But for me, because I'm overly responsible and I would try to prevent any crisis from happening and I would try to, you know, be there um, just in case something was going to happen that like, it, it truly was, um, on me to, to, to you know, and I had people's lives in my hands. You know, right. I, I, I worked at a treatment center where people came in in a pretty acute way and, and really needed 24 seven, you know, but um, I just couldn't uh, do that anymore. And I, and I knew it for a long time and I was scared to leave because it Ugh. was security and it was, you know, it was all those things that we talked about. And so, I didn't really know that I was actually going to be happy if I changed that. Cause that's all, that's all I had known for so long. So I think too, it's no, that it. it's the fear of change. And once I did it, I was like, Oh my gosh, why didn't I do this like 10 years ago? Like what?
0: Um, and it's true because you think, okay, this is what I need to do. And it's a big leap of faith, but what if it doesn't change? You know? So it's yeah. a scary thing because it's not like you're just like, oh, I'm making a cake and I'm going to leave out one ingredient and see if it changes the cake. It's like, you know, I'm going to get rid of the oven. And, and I mean, that's a big change to make. And then to have it not pan out, that's scary. And I think that's what a lot of people think to themselves. I mean, there's days where I would go through times and think, when you start counting the years until you can retire, until this mm-hmm. and that, and you start looking at your own sustainability. Ah, uh, God! You got to think to yourself. I really need to take a deeper dive, and and that's what you clearly did. But tough to get through that, right? I guess it's really tough
1: to get through it. It's super risky. Um, I felt insecure the first time in my life. It was the first time that I was uh, that I didn't have a job since I was thirteen, which is what provided wow. security for me and what what I was taught you needed to do to have security. And so, yeah, to just be alone in that and not have any like security blanket was really scary. And, but I think that um, for me, it was, it was a survival. Like I, like I didn't have a choice at that point. Like I knew that I was either going to have like a heart attack or die from stress or, you know, keep gaining weight to the point where I was just going to, you know, have medical problems or something like the stress really was getting to me. And I think that we have to just be honest with ourselves because I, what I thought at the time was like, Oh, well, everybody is stressed like this. Like why I shouldn't be complaining. Like I've got it great, you know? Um, So that's why it's like an individual decision. Like some people might be able to handle that level of stress and be fine. But I had to be honest with myself that um, that it was too much for me. Um, and people have a hard time admitting that because it, it feels like well does that mean i'm failing at something if i if i'm not doing this but no you're not failing you're taking care of yourself why why do we all think that when we're in self care it means we're not a good mom we're not a good worker we're not a good you know friend like we're self caring like isn't that the most important thing like isn't that all we really have at the end of the day
0: It's so, it's true, I tell, uh, you know, I have all these little nuggets of, I I don't know, pearls, whatever you want to call them, but I say to my patients, in order to be the giving self that you are, you need to be selfish. Yes. And you cannot be there as a parent, as a friend, as a a mother or father, or as in your role, in your job, whatever it is, if you cannot be selfish, at least foundationally, right? Take care of, as you say, self-care, you are not gonna be effective in all these other roles in life. And people just head down this pathway and I think they they gotta just put the brakes on, right? And just say, am I my best self? And am I capable? And am I able to do what I need to do? Whatever that role may be. And I, it's, it's tough. It is really tough. And a lot of it I think comes from, your belief systems and and mm. your culture and w- w- you know, what did mom and dad do and and what did they teach you? And that must be the right thing to do. So you just keep barreling down this highway at a hundred miles an hour and then the wheels come off. I and that's
1: mean, where, that's what they were taught too. Right. So like right. your dad, your dad culturally might've been taught not to express his feelings or talk about his sadness or talk about, Um, you know, things that he was experiencing because culturally that might not have been acceptable. So what does he do? He sits in the corner and teaches you that you shouldn't talk about your feelings.
0: Yeah, and it's so true. But, you know, God, I wish I knew this stuff 30 years ago, you know?
1: Right, but you've been in therapy for this long, <laughs> obviously like you you went against all of your cultural norms and everything that you probably were taught and you know.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's just like, I, I gotta, it's so fresh in my 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 mind, seeing my father with his legs crossed and his forehead in his hand, smoking a cigarette and thinking, and I would just think, eh, what's he doing? But you know, resting or whatever. What he must have been going through in his mind at the time, I cannot imagine. I can't imagine. It's just, but you're right. It's that cultural thing. Like that's, you know, listen, Hispanic population, we're like machismo, I think is the word they use, right? You know, you got to be the strong man, the breadwinner, the guy. And listen. You got to reach for help. And I tell my patients never, ever stop trying, never stop trying to be your best self, whatever that is quitting smoking, working on your weight, your exercise, stress management, whatever it is that makes you your best self. Never stop trying because you don't know when that light is going to click and it's going to be today is the day. And It's evolution, right? We're, we're, we're going to be working on this until the day we're no longer on this earth. And I think that's kind of true with anything that, that you never master it, right? You just get better at it.
1: You get better at it. And if you have awareness, you know, that's kind of the first step to changing. So like, you know, if, if, if you're, if you feel ashamed that you have depression or anxiety, um, or you're not getting out of bed, or you're not able to function the way that you think you should be or whatever it is, I think it's important to then kind of normalize that, you know, that, right. you know, if 16 million people are suffering with depression, that's a lot of people,
0: you that's know, a lot of people. And that's just that we know of, right? right. I always think that the, the, the number, you, you know, they say that with diabetes or pre-diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the number. I'm like, yeah, times two, times at least. Two, yeah. So and w-
1: and women are 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 twice as likely to have depression and I'm not sure if that's because they report it right or you know if that's really a true statistic in terms of the gender you know it's
0: dulling. so uh, let me let me wrap up with something that I think a lot of people wonder and you know I have my own opinions and things but we look at social media and we mm-hmm. look at all of this access and this explosion of so many things out there, you know, you can post anything you could put in, you know, the, the Facebook cops, as I call them, they're pretty lenient, right? You can get away with a lot of stuff, in my opinion. How has this affected? Has it helped? Has it hindered the treatment of, of mental health issues? I mean, what what would you say? I have my opinion. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let you say yours because you're the expert on this. And then I'll just either give myself an attaboy because I'm in alignment with you. But, what do you think? What, it, good, bad, and different?
1: Well, I mean, like I said in the beginning, the only thing that I think that's positive about it in terms of the mental health piece is the access. You know, um, right. being able being able to do like you know, Doctor Phil has Doctor on Demand. Being able to like access a therapist from anywhere. You know, people often will say and like when they come to treatment at Westwind um, Recovery, which is here in LA they say, you know, well, I can't find a therapist in Indiana or Oklahoma or wherever. And now they can. Um, And they can, you know, they can find someone wherever they are. I mean, that's so great. So I, I think in terms of that, like to have these apps, to have apps like Headspace or other things that help you meditate or, you know, that easily accessible, you know, like when we live in a city like this, it's like, we have everything on our fingertips and we forget that people in other places don't.
0: Yep. Exactly. So Yeah. Other parts of the world, you know, th- there's our country. Right. But I mean, listen, we're all together on this planet, right? We're all human. And uh, whether you're here or on the other side of the world, we all deserve to be happy. And, uh, you know, there's that
1: happy word,
0: right? Yeah. You know, listen, 22 <laughs> years of uh, therapy. Am I, <laughs> she would be very proud of me. Um, good. Okay. So let's take, so, so far, I, I yeah. this is what I'm thinking. Access is the good part, mm-hmm. but man, there's a lot of kind of not so good parts to this whole thing.
1: Yeah. And listen, I have two daughters, um, you know, teenage daughters. So I see it firsthand with them and with all of their friends. And, um, you know, I I talked to my um, 19 year old daughter the other day and she was telling me that she was going to go to some party or something and she didn't really want to go, but she wanted to take a good picture. Right. And while she was there, like she didn't, she wasn't really present. She just wanted to get that picture. So, so it's like good for her Instagram. Like that's not living, you know? And so I think we have to remind our kids, like it's about being present, but we're, I mean, it's like a, it's like a train that we're just watching go off the tracks. Um, But we, it has to start with us, you know? And so um, I try just personally, and I try to, you know, help my, my parents of, of, kids to do this too. Like you have to practice what you preach. And so, you know, I'm um, guilty of looking at my phone every five minutes. It's yeah. like, it's kind of like an addiction, you know, and or, or a habit or just something, you know, that, that we do now. Um, what did we do before we had phones? I mean, we oh. stopped, we stopped <laughs> on the corner and and made a pay phone call. Right. Right. <laughs>
0: I so said that to present, my patient.
1: Being present is so important, you know, as much as That's we can.
0: It. You know, it was funny. I was watching on, well, not funny, but it was interesting on that point that you're saying being present. I was watching on Sunday uh, a soccer game, which I rarely watch soccer, but my buddy, long story, got me into this. And it was England versus Italy in this finals, right? Mm-hmm. And it went down into overtime, overtime, penalty kicks. And it was like so exciting. And I, re- they were showing the crowd, right? And soccer fans are like, unlike any fans, and it's just mm-hmm. outrageous. But they were showing the fans And it's to your point, the fans had their little phone out trying to video and I'm like, put the phone down and watch it because there's no way you're going to experience what I just experienced watching this happen in that phone. You know, you're going to try to follow the ball as it goes into the whatever, like That's it. Be present. It's so
1: funny that you said the soccer thing, because obviously both (laughs) my kids, you know, did soccer, right? And and we're good at soccer. And I would go to the games and because I I wasn't really into soccer, like I didn't play it growing up. It wasn't my thing. But, you know, of course, I'm there to support my kids, right? But I'd be sitting on the sideline, you know, on the phone, answering emails, like missing goals, missing whatever, you know, looking (laughs) up every once in a while. And one day I forgot my phone in the car and I didn't want to like walk all the way back together it. So I didn't have it. I had the best experience. Like I got so into soccer. I was literally like yelling on the sidelines, like a crazy (laughs) parent. Like, I mean, I knew everything that was going on. It was so much fun. And at the end of the game, I was like, that was so amazing. And my daughter was like, like, she's like, it's like that every time, mom. And I was like, oh, like I'm missing this. I'm missing it.
0: Yeah. You know, there's that moment in time where you forget about the stress because you're present and you're yeah. watching the, like to your point, watching the ball or, you know, if it's one of your daughters kick a goal, you can't be answering some email about work and ex- experiencing the joy of watching your child kick a goal. And that's just in one example. So we could go on and on and on. I know. And I, uh, I, I just hope if nothing else, we, we can, we're able to sort of break through and, and someone that's listening, if it's even one person that, Starts to make some changes and and reflects on what does this look like. What is your story, and start to to look for help because, as you said at the beginning, looking for help to me is a sign of strength, not weakness. And and you hear people throw that term around or that statement around, but hey, you know what? It really is. And uh, I I think we need to reach out to people, friends, family. Professionals, whatever it is, and and I more than anything just want to thank you for for spending some time. I know you're a very busy person, and 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 you're just uh, I just appreciate. I'm not you as taking busy. Time.
1: I'm not as busy anymore. That's, oh. that's the good thing.
0: So well, I could, I'm I enjoying your
1: company. I'm enjoying <laughs> being here. This is great. Like I wouldn't have done this three years ago.
0: Well. I and my listeners appreciate your time and what I really want to finally get to is where where do we find you? How can we reach out to you? Give us some ways to uh Sure. to get Yeah, the-
1: thank you. Uh drdina-therapy.com, d r d e e n a therapy.com or westwindrecovery.com, which is my treatment center that I run.
0: Beautiful. Listen, thank you so so much uh I learned so much in these things and it's, it's so valuable. I can't thank you enough for the, for your time today with me and, and, and for the time and and the work you do every single day and enjoy life. Go to those soccer games. You
1: too. I'm so glad you're doing this. It's great.
0: Thanks so much. Well, now it's time for the weekly R X. So many great nuggets of information. I had a tough one, this tough time this week. So here's a couple things that I want people to remember. Number one is one of the nuggets that I tell my patients all the time, which is tell me what you can do, not what you can't do. And tell me what you did, not what you failed to do. And I think that's super important. Don't be so hard on yourself is the basic message. Secondly, and I love this. And, you know, Dr. Dino was just incredible to bring this up. And I I went back and forth on this, but compare yourself to your best self, not so much to others. And I think that is critical. And lastly, and again, I say this all the time to my patients, never stop trying. You never know, never give up and never stop trying because today could be the day that's it for today, guys. Uh, Gosh, great, great stuff. Don't forget to subscribe for free download and listen to Wellness Inc. with me, Dr. Mike Moreno on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Follow me on social at 17 Day Diet and at Stage 29 Podcasts on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We'll see you later. This has been a Stage 29 Podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Patty Ciano, LaFern Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatti. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horenigay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional. This podcast does not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.